I wanted to put out content that was aesthetically appealing. Um, and I had this like, I had this inspiration. Where did my inspiration come from? Actually, there is a, there is a guy, a Japanese guy uh, that does things right on YouTube. He's called Peaceful Cuisine. And he was a big driver of, of my inspiration. His very moody, kind of faded blacks, and his lighting was just so incredible. And he was doing his production on his own in his own kitchen. And I took to that and said, you know what? Like I'm gonna learn, and I'm gonna try to replicate, and try to do this on my own as well. Hi there, veggie mates. Welcome back, or welcome to the show. If this is your first time tuning in, you just heard from Brian Choi D. He is this week's special guest. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is the Veg Talk Podcast, a show dedicated to interviewing the most fantastic minds, inspiring leaders, and sharing powerful stories from individuals who are leading the vegan and plant-based movement from around the globe. The weeks are flying by, and your continued support has been amazing throughout, guys. I really do appreciate it. I'm really grateful that you choose to take an hour or so out of your day to tune in And I'm equally thankful to those who go the extra step to leave a review and rating on iTunes. It may seem like a small and meaningless thing to do. However, it is one of the easiest ways to help. If you have enjoyed an episode and would like to help, please do that through the Apple Podcasts app on iPhone or through iTunes. It probably takes one to two minutes maximum. uh, Super easy way to help. So this week we received a five-star review from Masil Esco, who lives in Spain. She said, definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Thanks with all my heart for doing this with your guests and the topics. You inspire me to become a better person and a better vegan for me, others, and the world. So I'm really stoked to hear that, Masil, and thank you for taking the time to leave a review. So now to this week's show. Today, we are chatting with Brian Choi D. So he's a San Francisco native, born to Chinese parents, and has become an inspiration to those looking to create delicious vegan food in the kitchen. We hear from Brian on how his family and heritage has influenced his cooking, who his inspiration is, and how a weekend away with his girlfriend and dog sparked his journey into choosing a vegan lifestyle. I hope you enjoy today's show, and as always, I will catch you on the other side. Right, beautiful. We are in the Sound Bunker nice. here in San Francisco. Today we are truly in San Francisco. We're not in, we're not in Oakland or Berkeley. We're here today with BCD. You know it. Yeah, I know it, man. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've watched some of your videos, man. That's awesome. I got super hungry in the, <laughs> in the process. Uh, Brian Choi Day? D. D. Yeah. So, guys, if... Um, if you're interested or not familiar, first of all, you can find Brian at Good Life Cooking. Good Life Cooking. Yeah, on Instagram. And that's cooking without the G at the end. Correct. And yeah, just be ready to get hungry. <laughs> that's that's a, my goal. Yeah, <laughs> cooking up some epic stuff. But thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you giving up the time. You're Thank a busy you guy. Thanks for coming here. No worries at all. Appreciate it's good it. to be here. Awesome. So... I'd love to hear, I mean, you know, you've got Chinese background. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what it's like growing up here in San Fran. Yeah. Early days before tech companies come and take over the place. You know, what it was like and, uh, yeah, what your experience was in America yeah. as, a, as a, Chinese, um, a Chinese guy. Sure. So, I've lived in San Francisco all my life. I actually lived in the Sunset District of San Francisco, which is probably more of like a an isolated part of the city because you're like all the way by the ocean but man it was amazing to live out there as a kid growing up as a chinese american um, i didn't really feel different from everybody else because in part because sunset district was predominantly like it was a heavy asian american population out there or demographic i should say so my high school was 65 70 percent asian um, so I didn't really think much about it, how it was different. I just knew that this was this was it. This was life, right? But Asian, when it comes to Asian food and Asian cuisine, that definitely, definitely inspired my background in terms of like how I cook today, and what I try to produce today, in terms of new dishes or flavors. I always think about bringing back those flavors from my childhood, whatever it may be. Um, 
and it doesn't necessarily always have to be Chinese cuisine either. It could just be something as simple as like the best sandwich I ever had. And that was in, in the West Portal area uh, at this place called Submarine in the Sunset District. I always used to go there as a kid and they used to s- just drizzle these sandwiches with Italian dressing. Ever since they did that, I always put Italian dressing on my sandwiches. It's just like a must. It's a necessary. So, so yeah, um, the cuisine that I had as a kid definitely influences what I do now, for sure. Um, being Chinese-American, too, uh, you know, I think a lot in part has to do with, like, my, my mom. She, she raised me. She raised me as a pretty strong, like, kid where you have to recognize you are Chinese because she was very much into like the school district and promoting Chinese American um, like teachers she was promoting just everything Chinese American culture she was very much about Asian American studies so I had to learn my roots and I was very close to my grandma too she came over here in the 60s um, from um, from China and um, and she definitely had a big impact of, of, you know, how I kind of view Chinese American traditions and, you know, the whole shebang when it comes to like Chinese New Year, um, all the all the cuisines we have when we go out to family dinners. It's always Chinese food um, and there's a plethora of Chinese food in San Francisco. So um, you're never short of that for sure. It definitely sounds like a cool place to to grow up. Yeah. And not being like, you know thrown into a place where you do feel out of place or right. you never had to deal with that it was just you know you belong right which is really nice when you are young and growing up that's what we look for it is yeah that's that's really cool Absolutely. were there any other things that you learned from your family like outside of food in terms of like chinese medicine or other chinese traditional practices yeah that's a good so my <laughs> it's funny there's um there's actually this Chinese, it's funny you brought that up because there's this Chinese medicine called uh, Bojayun and it's these little black pellets that if you are sick or have a flu or something ails you, I don't know what it is, uh, your grandma is going to give you these pellets and just shove it down your throat. And they're the most disgusting pellets that, and they, they're like, just picture for those of you on the podcast listening, just picture just really, really small little balls that just tastes like charcoal or just something really bitter and just shitty, absolute shit. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyways, you would just take a vial of this stuff, and um, you know, I think it was pr- predominantly a placebo, but <laughs> for the most part, you had no choice. If your grandma gave it to you, you would have to do it. Um, herbal stuff, like including like soups and stuff, we would always dump a bunch of herbs into broth, like chicken broth. So. Um, yeah, that played a big part in like our flavors and our traditions for sure. Definitely. It's something, it almost feels like it's becoming cooler or, you know, more part of our, our modern culture right. to incorporate these Eastern style practices into, you know, into our daily lives, whether it's herbal medicines or whether it's yoga practice. Absolutely. You know, it's becoming, you know, much more westernized. I don't know exactly what to think of that, but I, I think there's a lot of good that we can, we can learn from, you know, these types of Eastern practices by incorporating them into our life. So I'm kind of, I'm glad that they're, you know, seeping into the culture. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. hundred percent. It is um, cool. Yeah. There's, there's also like a lot of other things that are constantly coming to market that I feel like have been around in like Chinese tradition for a long time one of those things is like mushrooms i mean i know mushrooms is coming to the forefront but like chinese have been eating mushrooms forever like mushrooms have it's it's literally in every dish almost like you know if you stir fry something or if you steam like any dish they're gonna throw in like shiitake mushrooms or some type of mushroom yeah and a wide variety of mushrooms not just yeah not just the cremini or the the (laughs) white button mushrooms that you know we're so used to uh, growing up with a it's you know i suppose like england canada australia yeah the u.s like just those westernized countries it's just like the one variety right but now they become a more popular yeah the the wider ones like you go to whole foods now and you'll see you'll see a bunch of shiitakes or Oyster mushrooms. Um, Enokis. Enokis, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. That's actually so good because 
you know, all this stuff that we've never had access to before or like, you know, you could just go to the grocery store before and you would only get those creminis and that was, or Portobello if you were lucky. Um, but now you can get it all, which is cool. Yeah. Any tips for for finding cheap mushrooms? Because I know Ooh, when, when I go to farmers markets, when I go to Whole Foods and I want oyster mushrooms, they don't look so good, and they're usually about fourteen bucks a pound. Well, you're talking shiitake mushrooms are fourteen a pound. Oyster okay. mushrooms are usually like six a pound. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and that that's really expensive for shiitake mushrooms. Sometimes I just get it out of convenience because I have no like choice. But if you have a local farmer's market, you may want to just scour that area for a really good mushroom grower. And if you're lucky, in San Francisco, we have a bunch. Um, you'll find some really, really awesome mushrooms, like the freshest mushrooms ever. So. Yeah. No, it's a cool... It's a cool area to get into because totally. you get different textures, you get different colors, um, and you can use them throughout your cooking. Oh yeah, mimicking kind of maybe old dishes that you used to like with that were meat based. Absolutely. I think they're an, I think they're probably my favorite substitute uh, because they're not super processed. Obviously, you know they're a fresh ingredient, um, and it's kind of fun to learn about them. Yep. Yeah, it's cool. So traditional Chinese dishes what what did they look like growing up you know what what was the the main kind of staples main staples so i'm cantonese it is um definitely it's a southern chinese cuisine so if you've ever been to hong kong uh you'll know that it's a really really bomb cuisine like there's just everything it's seafood intense it's chicken intense it's it's there's a lot of like really really good stuff there it's a diverse offering is what i have to say not as much vegan unfortunately because everything is kind of like you know meat based or animal based but growing up i think a traditional thing would be like soy sauce chicken like that was a really easy dish to just like make for the family in fact you would actually just go to like a chinese market and they would usually have like chickens prepared and marinated already and ready to go for you guys um there's also just stir-fried veggies, like all different types of stir-fried veggies where you just take garlic and ginger and just throw it in a wok and just sear the shit out of it, you know? And it would be so good. Um, and then you have your broths, just a lot of soups. Like Chinese love soup. And it, it's just something about that broth which has like a healing properties, which we talked about before, that the Chinese and Chinese tradition is just really important. Um, other things is seafood. So seafood like shrimp, prawns, um, crab, lobster, fish, bunch of fish, all different types of fish. And usually when you go into a Chinese restaurant, you see like a big fish tank that has like a bunch of fish in it. Um, so that's that's pretty much, you know, a steamed fish, fried fish, like you name it, they can cook it. <laughs> so it's, it's quite broad. It is very broad. The broths that you talk of, I think like the key to those like you know noodle dishes noodles big on noodles i, I forgot is, to mention that like one ton mean is like you know one ton noodles like dumpling noodles is huge as well and in that broth you have a smoked ham you have like squid and seafood flavors of umami in that broth too by no means is that vegan at all but absolutely delicious when i wasn't a vegan right but i think those backgrounds and flavors are super important today yes. because now that the the shift towards veganism is happening at such a fast rate, having those people that did experience those flavors, textures, um, they know what they want to produce and create right, when right. they go to make a vegan dish. Absolutely. And it's very few people on this planet that were brought into this world as vegetarians or vegans. It's true. The percentage is, is minuscule. I feel like that's very true. So, you know, we can't really bash people for being brought into a world that, you know, yeah, is you not vegan. It's, it's, it's how most of us have, have grown up. It's just the people that took notice of the flavors, textures that they were brought up with that are super flavorful and tasty. We're going to be thanking them now and in the future because they're the ones they're going to be <laughs> progressing the movement they're inventing the, the wheel as we speak exactly yeah. exactly so we'll get to that in a moment yeah. um with with your cooking as well so 
I suppose in San Fran, after, you know, childhood days, what, what did you get into in college? You mentioned college before. Uh, what was the, the path that you, you know, initially wanted to, to take? In terms of my career or in terms of how, that, how my college kind of influenced my cooking? bit of both okay you know where where did you want to go at that time with your career and if it did have influence yeah absolutely let us let us know yeah i mean i think i think in college honestly like it's funny i was i was accepted into um i went to college uc irvine university of california irvine and at the time like they were accepting everybody i don't even think with my grades in high school i would have ever gotten accepted to uci the way i did back then but <laughs> um but yeah i got in as a civil engineer i i probably spent two and a half years there and I failed miserably at that and uh, I switched I switched majors to political science thinking oh I was going to be maybe something in political science a lawyer or something like that I can I can write an essay pretty fast and get a b plus on it so hey this is maybe something but ultimately did none of that (laughs) Um, graduated I just realized I need to get the I need to get out of here like as fast as possible and then I jumped into sales and I started selling architectural software for a reseller in Anaheim. And, um, and then I just, just learned the sales ropes like as fast as I could. Ultimately, four years into that, the market, the economy crashed and a lot of my business was going down. So as a salesperson, you kind of just have to make these adjustments. And, and I, saw that, I saw that I wasn't completely happy with what I was selling. It was kind of getting bored and I wanted to challenge myself a little bit. And at the time in 2008, there was a company called Yelp. And Yelp was something I looked to, to not only write reviews, but to find the best restaurants in Orange County where I was. So I was really big on ramen. I was really big on just finding like any unique kind of thing that was out there. Um, and I said, if I'm on Yelp so much, my might as well just use this thing and actually work for them right? Like, why not? So I gave that a shot. I applied to Yelp and I became a salesperson at Yelp for, and I was there for like three years. Now that brought me back to San Francisco. Um, how college actually shaped my cuisine is also different because I was living with a, probably like five to six guys every single year. Like we would move from house to house and I was always the, the cook for all my friends who lived with me. And when you have five guys, it's more like you're living with 10, right? Or it's more like you're living with uh, five guys and their girlfriends, you know, it's like a, a huge house that you have to provide food for. So we would get scrappy. We would, we would just find whatever we could at like either Asian grocery stores or like the local Ralph's and just like either do barbecues or just something for the masses. Like you could do like, I did really good garlic noodles back then, whatever I could just find for cheap. We're going to make that for the whole entire group. And then I realized like, Hey, I was actually getting really good at cooking for the masses. Um, ultimately I, I started working at the pub in my college too, and I just manned the grill. So I was making things like a Philly cheesesteak pizzas, all that, all that bar food. Um, and I just kind of learned the ropes from there. So food has just gradually become more and more a part of your life. Right. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's from what, the beginning. It's always what been, what connects the household for me. Yep. Totally. And you've just, I suppose, slowly gotten more and more into the kitchen so moving into that household you've taken it upon yourself yeah to kind of like all right i'm the guy that cooks here yeah if i don't cook no one's gonna cook and we're gonna starve that's yeah. how it was or we're gonna have to eat some shitty food at carl's jr or jack in the box like right across the street so right it was one or the other um and the 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 social aspect you, you talk about you yeah. know being about community food food has that power absolutely and i think one of the things when people do make the switch to a plant-based diet or a vegan lifestyle, whatever you, you want to call it, is they get worried about the social aspect. Yeah. And so how has that impacted you? I suppose we can hear a little bit about maybe why you went vegan in the first place. Like sure. what, what were the, the instigators there for, uh, for you to, to make the change? Because, you know, you're deeply rooted in Chinese tradition. I, I don't think there's much you know, reason yeah. for you to be like, oh yeah, it's, it's like, you know, where my family was going or uh, anything like that. So I'd be interested to hear about, uh, yeah, the, the reasons why, and then how it affected your social life and how you navigated that part of your life. Sure. 
so I, I, I turned vegan four years ago, and I was plenty, like, I was way out of college by then. I, I didn't live, I was living on my own or with my girlfriend at the time. So I didn't have that huge household environment, number one. wasn't as It wasn't as hard for me to um, change my diet because I, I didn't have to think about all these other people I was cooking for. But anyways, um, we, me and my girlfriend, Kitty, uh, we ventured off to a, an Airbnb destination in like the middle of the woods one, one day, and it was called the Mushroom Hut. And it's a really cool place in Aptis, California, but um, we brought our dog. And we were just isolated in the woods and thinking about, okay, um, our dog is no different from any other animal out there. Why, why do we eat animals? And we had this deep conversation, like, maybe we should try going like a meatless Monday. And I was like, meatless Monday? Like she said, yeah, we should just do one day a week. And I was like, no, 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 no. We should probably just do like a meat Monday and every other day have it be no meat and she's like okay well we could try that ultimately we tried it we gave it a shot and then we realized like we didn't even have to do that meat monday we just kept it going the only thing i really missed at the time was like eggs and um and Reese's peanut butter cups which is interesting (laughs) (laughs) but like once we connected that and you know i would look at my dog every day and get some inspiration just keep on going with it you know like if I needed, like, early on, if I needed to have an egg, I would just to get, like, kind of my cravings off the off the plate, so to speak. And then ultimately it just became a lot easier, like, so easy for me to just transition into, like, full-on vegan diet. And, um, I mean, that was really the inspiration other than just, like, realizing, like, we're here on this planet with every single animal. And it doesn't make sense that we think we're better than them. Uh, just because I want you, me, um, to have the best life. You mean my dog. I want her to have the best life possible. And I would never want to treat her different or treat her as a non-emotional being, you know. That's, I mean, that's a really nice connection. Yeah. I think it's one that few of us make. You know, we love our dogs. We love our cats. Yeah, but, but there's something we, that we don't connect with what we're eating on our plates to, like, what we're petting. Exactly. And that's just... It's just really strange. Yeah. We, yeah, I, I can see why, you know, it's, it's hidden behind closed doors and I think that's the way we're, we're disconnected. That's the reason most of us um, don't choose to extend our compassion to other animals. It's, right. it's kind of out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. So that's really nice that you were able to have, you know, that deep conversation totally with your girlfriend and, and kind of, navigate your way through like how you were going to tackle it yeah and I, I did actually forget to mention that before we went on that trip we did watch cowspiracy which also kind of implanted in our heads a little bit more about the environmental impact that we were doing by eating things like meat and and just kind of at the same time i think we were having a drought in california too so it, it almost made sense to connect like our environmental impact to not eating meat and saying, okay, I think we can do this. Like a meatless Monday, sure, we can do that. Let's try to expand that idea, right? Cowspiracy is a good one, and I feel like ca- California is kind of really at the forefront of seeing climate change in action. Oh, for sure. You know, as you mentioned, drought. I, f- I feel like it's almost this stage of perpetual drought in right. California. It's also, in a lot of places, very progressive and open to veganism. But we've driven through the state and there's also a lot of animal agriculture. Huge. Here in California Mid, as well. Like central California for sure. Yeah. So it's got that aspect to it. It's got the wildfires yes. that are starting to get worse and worse. Yes. As a result of wildfires and soil, I suppose we're seeing landslides. Mm-hmm. as well i think there was a big mudslide in the santa barbara era hmm. area i didn't hear about that but last I, year or and it was right around the same time as the wildfires, as the wildfires. Oh, okay. so i'm not sure if it's something to do with soil health or strength uh, and it kind of loses its you know grip so to speak but it's just this really big full circle totally. thing happening here in california so yeah, having that progressive vegan movement 
and linking it to the environment is super important. Yeah. Not just here, but around the world. You know, right. we are seeing it uh, around the world. Um, yeah, I think um, in Paris a couple of weeks ago, it was like 108 degrees. And it was like record-breaking heat out there. Here in San Francisco, and you guys actually came at like a really great time, but it's almost like 85 degrees today. It's like insane, you know? Yeah. So. Yesterday we were sweating bullets. Like <laughs> yeah, I bet. Super, <laughs> super hot. Um, but yeah, it's nice to think about that we've got this ni- nice warm weather. Yeah. But is it natural in terms of the patterns that we've seen right. in the last decades? Yeah, it's definitely not. And it's definitely not. We're no. talking with locals and they're like, this is a really rare week. Yep. Um, you know, you guys came at a, at, a, at a rare time. And I feel like we're getting that in a lot of places, you know, whether it's winter or summer. Oh, you came at a really cold week here in Toronto or Minneapolis. Right. It's unseasonably freezing. <laughs> and it, it swings both ways. It does. It does. It's crazy. Yeah, no, definitely interesting time. Cool connections that you've got there. Are there, you know, since you've gone vegan mm-hmm. and, you know, you're big on the food and obviously that that had to change. I know, I've done a little digging and I know that you're big on sneakers. Oh, yeah. You know, you like your Jordans. Yeah. Uh, and, your, and your Nikes. Um, you know, before, before you were vegan, I suppose there was no real limitation on what sneakers you chose. How has that changed in your life since you know that day oh it's it's been big i mean i've probably gone through a hundred pairs of shoes in the past four years i would say maybe five years and actually like three or four years ago there was that whole big um mari kondo movement of just hey like you know you should probably get this was before it hit netflix right it was like actually those that read the book (laughs) the art of whatever it was the art of tidying up or art of um, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I donated 40 pairs of shoes. And yeah, they were pretty much all leather shoes, you know. And that's been a really big shift in my mindset because today I'll look at my Jordans, which I still have. I'm not going to throw away like stuff that I spent like over $200 on because that just not feel good to me. Um, all these shoes that I had before, which I still wear, but I just won't make I won't make a decision to purchase anything with leather now. So when I look at shoes, I'll always go to the description now. I always just have to just be a little bit more conscious of my purchasing. But that's that's okay. And I actually think every consumer out there should be more conscious of what they're buying. What are you supporting behind this? What is the cause? And that's actually what I look for now is, okay, well, if I'm going to buy a pair of Adidas, for example, I want it to have a good cause. So I'll, I'll look at the Parlay brand and the, the collaboration they have. Um, Parlay is, um, you know, taking ocean plastic, spinning it up into threads and making shoes with Adidas. Like, that could not get any better. Um, so I, I will always just, you know, every time there's a Parlay drop, I'm like, oh, I want those, you know, I'll, I'll make that investment for sure. And so it's fine. Like, I, I can really get by with, like, having a sick pair of kicks these days. And... On Instagram, I'll also notice that like I'll get ads for like native shoes or like other vegan brand shoes. Um, Asus actually has like a really good selection of vegan shoes as well. Like if you're looking for dress shoes, um, ASOS. Um, so yeah, I feel like the options are all there. It's just you just gotta make sure you're the right consumer, and um, and you'll find a lot of great stuff. You bring up a number of good points there. I think. It's easier than we often think, you know. It's yeah. just being mindful on the purchase. Totally. That's all it is. It might take an extra couple of minutes. Yeah. It's not uh, a big a big um, commitment, you know. It's, it's quite easy to do. The other one that I really like that you, you bring up is that it's important not to be so hard on yourself. Yes. You know, if we made purchases in the past that were leather shoes, that were an investment at the time, yeah. You thought they were going to last. They're a sturdy brand, sturdy shoe. I don't think it's completely necessary to be like, you know, I've, I have to throw those away. Right. I have to donate them. From a waste point of view, you're almost better using those until they are no longer useful. Absolutely. 
and it's okay. 100%. If you identify as a vegan person, it's completely okay, I think, in my opinion, that you continue to use those. And I I probably grappled with that a little bit because Anna used to have, you know, like leather Reeboks. Hmm. And I'd be like, how can you, you know, how can you wear those? Right, right. It's hard. It's And I think she's taught me to understand that, hey, it's like, just because it's part of my past doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to continue to choose those products now and into the future. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't, you can't hang up on the past at all. No. That's, that's a big thing about what I've learned, actually, in recent years. It's like my decisions in the past don't dictate who I am today. This very second, the decision I make right now is who you should judge me on. Um, and that's true for everything, everybody, you know, everything you do in life, right? So, um, yeah, beautifully yeah, said. Just want to hang up on it too much. Absolutely. And what point in time did you, you know, did you take up the, the Instagram page and mm. think, all right, it's time to kind of kick it up a notch. I'm going to, yeah. bring my creations my art my cooking to the world i want to i want to show people what's possible yeah so two and a half years ago i started making vegan food and i was like you know like on my feed of friends i would see people eating like prime rib or like taking pictures of like just animal based products and and everyone was getting giving likes on those photos and i was just like there needs to be a way where we can make vegan food look cool and look better, look more colorful. Like people are just eating bland colors and that's not fun. I don't think that's fun at all and it's not presentable on Instagram, but people are liking it and I don't know why. Why is it so cool to take a picture of a piece of prime rib smothered in gravy? Like, and everyone's like salivating over it. It's like, are you guys crazy? So let me show you what this looks like. And then I just started getting into photography and taking my photos and really playing around with like, what I could do with my cooking as well and I think Instagram had a lot of like inspiration for me to do that actually because I was always thinking at the time I was thinking like what else can I make what else can I make oh I want to take another photo I want to post something and so I was just always in the kitchen cooking at that time I don't post nearly as frequently as I did two and a half years ago just because I think Instagram has gotten to that level where it's like Man, it's just really labor intensive. Like you to to stand out on Instagram today, you have to be posting a lot, and it's a lot of time. It's a lot of dedication. So I give props to people that are just massively growing and uh, food stylists who are just dominating out there because it's a lot of work, you know. Um, but at any rate, getting back to the question, I'm kind of going off topic no, here. <laughs> take it on whatever tangent you want to, yeah. man. Um, yeah, Instagram, I started posting two and a half years ago, and it was just growing um, pretty good, but I was very active on it back then, and it was exciting times, like for me, because I was just learning my craft. Very cool. Yeah. It it sounds like it kept you creative. It did, you absolutely. Know, forcing you to think of, all right, what can, what kind of dish can I, can I think of? What can I recreate, or what can I create brand new yeah. that's... What can free I, from animal products. What can I share with somebody that's going to not only like this, but want to recreate that? So when someone says, oh, you veganized like this, or you made this dish, you made like a mac and cheese that looks stellar, like, yeah, and you know what? That was vegan. It's like, no way. You know, that's what I actually go for. And to this day, if I invite friends or whoever over for dinner, like I'll still want to go for that. Like I'll still want to get that little reaction out of them to be like, what is this, Brian? Like how did you make this crispy kind of like quote-unquote pork belly right like how did you do that vegan and i'm like you know it's just comes with the craft like i got you, tools <laughs> you have to spend time researching ingredients and just knowing how to cook things properly so what kind of ingredients do you find that you enjoy cooking with the most in terms of like you know replicating flavors textures those yeah. those types of things that are so important for textures like i'm a big texture fan i think texture is is one, if not almost the most important thing about cuisine. People may argue differently that it is about flavors and things like that, but I, I would I would argue that like if I blended up a spaghetti, 
with tomato sauce in a blender and just say gave like let you eat that out of a out of a jar you would not be happy you know <laughs> so it's not about flavors really it is about texture so um i use a lot of i do use a lot of soy products like tofu because it crisp up it has a lot of protein content um, i use a ton of mushrooms like we were talking about before because the texture of mushrooms is very meaty if you just cut like a a thin slice of shiitake that's completely different if you cut like a quarter inch slice of shiitake you know what i mean um vegetables you can cook vegetables either like a stewed down vegetable or you can cook it kind of like al dente um crispy so it really depends and all of those textures like make a dish pop because you have your textures of crunchy uh you know soft um you know whatever whatever those textures that you like the most like you can make that on a dish and that's really important yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's fun to get into. I feel like veganism has brought me into the kitchen and taught me to to enjoy it, enjoy cooking yeah, and seeing what you can create in there. Totally. I'm definitely no pro and we're working with a, a two-burner stove at the moment, <laughs> you know, in, in the van. So it, that's it, cool. it has its limitations, but we've made some some pretty decent dishes. So yeah. that's I, cool to hear about. I think a perfect example of, of like, a, like a, a vegan um dish is just like so simple is hash browns like seriously it's a potato that you can fry but guess what you can also mash a potato or you can also just cube it up put it in the oven and it'll crisp up but the center will be soft or you can make french fries or you can you know it's just something so versatile like that where you don't necessarily think of using one ingredient for all these different types of textures when you aren't necessarily cooking vegan food all the time so the innovation happens when you're when you're definitely cooking plant-based because you just have to think creatively totally textures is big flavors is big and you want to just create something new so yeah i think cooking with cooking with animal products is is almost the easy option yeah it's yeah. been done definitely you know, the, the manual is there the handbook is there yes yes the the trailblazers are now the plant-based chefs who are, are recreating the handbook yeah and um you know, helping people with, with those things. And also baking is a big one where people stumble on. They're like, how do you do that with, with no eggs or, you know, whatever it might be. There's some crazy bakeries out there yeah. that are doing like vegan croissants. And I'm just like blown away, like butter vegan croissants. Like, how did you make this so flaky? How did you make this so delicious? But you know, that's, that's all. It's great. Great for me. Like, yeah, exactly. I've, been, I've been craving croissants for the past four years. Now I've found it. And finally. now they're here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a place in Melbourne uh, called Weirdos. Okay. So when we were in Melbourne, we interviewed the the owner of, of Weirdos. And Weirdos. Weirdos. I got I to gotta go there. Yeah. I'll fly out there just for their croissants. It's it's not too bad <laughs> from here, man. You can you can get to Melbourne quite easily from, from the west coast of America. So... Nice. Um, yeah, for anyone listening that visits Melbourne or lives in Melbourne, <laughs> get to Weirdos, try them out. Um, they're definitely leading the way in terms of uh, baking and they, they fill this croissant with ice cream. Yeah, wow. And uh, one of the ice creams they had was lavender and eggplant. Right. We were like, lavender and eggplant? We were like, Who would have thought? Exactly. We were like, oh man, are we really going to try this? And then, sure enough. But that, that, and that's incredible, right? Those are inventions. Yep. I mean, I think like those are things that get people so excited that they're going to travel just to get that um, because they haven't had those flavors. Or even if they maybe they just turned vegan and they're craving something they brought they then they found your restaurant because of that. That's awesome. And I think like San Francisco definitely needs more vegan like restaurants or just offerings in general. Like it's it's so weird that San Francisco is so future for environmental stuff. But like when you look at the vegan cuisine and traditions in san francisco it's it's pretty limited i have to say if you go to berkeley and oakland it's a completely different cuisine out there um in terms of the vegan offering but like man san francisco is just lagging so behind on that i don't know why we were surprised yeah. honestly when we when we came through the first time we were really surprised by the lack of you know options yeah uh restaurants it's crazy we were kind of expecting something similar to Los Angeles. Oh yeah, when you go to LA, it's amazing. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> they, they, they've 
I love their scene for multiple reasons, not just the the you know expansive options that you you've got, but also the way they do it. Like we were talking about the pop up culture, yes, in Los yeah. Angeles before off air, and it just brings people together. It it really focuses on community. It does it does and. Yeah, I love. I really enjoyed that about LA. I I had my reservations about Los Angeles before actually visiting because I'd heard a lot of people that dislike the city. But I got to say, I really enjoyed it. I I really do like Los Angeles. It's a cool place to to be. Yep. I mean, when it comes to food, LA has definitely got it down. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's San Francisco's restrictions, because I know like if you want to open a restaurant in San Francisco, it is very intense in terms of like codes and what you can get away with and what you can serve and your profit margin is probably not as good because rent is so expensive here where la is just completely spread out you have uh, food truck innovation you have pop-up innovation all over so i'm sure that has a lot to deal with like you know in terms of creating new cuisine out there and letting yourself be free to create whatever you want because you don't have those financial restrictions right um and that's unfortunate there was actually a really good restaurant in the mission district called citizen fox probably the best vegan bacon mac and cheese i've ever had in my life we get there we had a such a great dinner experience and they said this is our last day and i said what do you mean it's your last day we're closing down what like we just got here how like you guys are the best vegan restaurant in the city how are you closing down it's too expensive we can't afford it so we're moving to oakland or i don't know if they actually did move to oakland but um they just couldn't make it in San Francisco. And that was very unfortunate. And the, the restaurant was packed. It was completely packed. And I said, how are you not making it? But, you know, that's just, uh, that's a game in San Francisco. Yeah, that's a huge barrier to entry yeah. for, for people that want to create. sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is sad. And it's probably, it's, pro- it's probably the biggest reason we're not seeing the same level of, you know, speed here totally. compared to other areas of the country i mean it is the most expensive place in the country to yes. live to rent space yep so yeah it's unfortunate. it's unfortunate it's unfortunate have you got any you know any inspiration that you look to you know whether it's vegan or not are there are there people out there that you really look to when you're when you're cooking um yeah you know like i tend to gravitate towards um I gravitate towards Asian cuisine a lot. So when I see like on Instagram, like a plant-based Asian cuisine account, I'm like, oh shit, like who is this? Like, this is awesome. So I get inspired by those types of accounts. Um, I also, so Instagram is big on inspiration. Also restaurants that are doing it and that just give me new flavors. LA, for example, there's a place called um, Vigatinos that had like the best vegan tacos I've ever had. And it can honestly compete with any taco I've ever had. You know, it's right up there. It's on par. It's nostalgic. It's amazing. And those inspire me. Um, what else inspires me? Just honestly, and just like my memories of my past, like I was saying before, like you have to pull from these flavors that really give you, you know, memories of your childhood that, hey, that tastes like exactly what my grandma used to make. And that's like this warm, fuzzy feeling that you can't get you know so true so so true shout out to alex at, at vegetinos um we we, we, we interviewed <laughs> alex uh, on the spanish version of the podcast and nice. that's coming soon so can't wait stoked to hear that you you like their stuff because it is it's so good oh absolutely and they're crushing it like oh that we went to their pop-up right yeah. on, a, on a wednesday night and the line for vegetinos was just Incredible. gigantic i know and they, they don't stop. That team works so hard. Uh, and they do a fantastic job of doing exactly what you said, creating those nostalgic kind of flavors. We'd just been through Mexico twice this year. Nice. And we were like, this really stacks up so well to to the Mexican cuisine that we were trying, whether Absolutely. it was, you know, Guadalajara, Mexico City, or small towns along the way. Yeah, um, yeah amazing place, amazing yep. place. Also, an important part of the food scene is the visual, the mm-hmm. visual aspect. Yes. And I think that's something, that's what draw um, me to your page. Awesome. W- was the, the visual aspect of, of how seriously you take it and how you present the food. 
right. whether it's video or, or still photos. So what do you think about that? Was that always front of mind for you, making sure that it was you know, presentable? I mean, definitely, I didn't want a shitty Instagram account, you know. <laughs> I wanted to put out content that was aesthetically appealing. Um, and I had this, like, I had this inspiration. Where did my inspiration come from? Actually, there is a there is a guy, a Japanese guy, uh, that does things right on YouTube. He's called Peaceful Cuisine. And he was a big driver of, of my inspiration. His very moody, kind of faded blacks and... His lighting was just so incredible, and he was doing his production on his own, in his own kitchen. And I took to that and said, you know what, like, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to try to replicate and try to do this on my own as well. Um, so I would highly recommend, number one, I highly recommend you guys go check out Peaceful Cuisine. Um, but yeah, that kind of like faded black look I used with the black background, kind of like a moody, dark inspiration on my food was what I was going for. And at first when I was posting Instagram photos, it was pretty crap. Like when I look at it, <laughs> like it was just like horrible to me if I look at it now, but like I learned and I kept on going, you know, and that was the engine that just needed to happen creatively, um, for me to get better. And I think for everybody to get better at their craft. So so definitely like photos and, and now videos is very important to what I do. Um, yeah, I always want to just have it look good. That, that look that you're talking about with the, the moody kind of lighting and the, the faded blacks. Yeah. I, I really like that with food. I've, al I've always been drawn to that because it kind of, it allows the food to really pop off the plate. Yeah. The food definitely. really becomes the, the centerpiece. Uh, yeah, all the colors, the colors just really, really come out, and I, I love it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a cool way to present. I mean, it's in this day and age, it seems like people either go with the the white bleach kind of look, where you know the whole feed is just uh, you yeah, know, very white backgrounds, <laughs> white plates, <laughs> right. all that kind of stuff. And that's great. Like that's a great aesthetic. It still works. looks good. There's a million of accounts that have that. Still looks good. Still looks I just good. I always lean towards uh, that other style. Yeah. And there's a few guys I can think of that do it. Yourself, uh, Derek Sano hmm. from Wicked Healthy, and also I think Mississippi Vegan. Yeah. Oh, he was he was definitely a big inspiration actually mm. on Instagram back in the day. Yeah. Presenting wise. Yeah. Very very cool. He is awesome. Yeah. Like his stuff looks so clean. He uses like all the freshest herbs from his garden. I feel like it's just amazing stuff. His work is great. Definitely, definitely. So what's what's next for you, man? What's what's the future looking like in in terms of, you know, the I suppose outside of the because there's there's a whole life for you outside of the cooking and and presenting on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. Um. What what do the next few months look like for you? I know you've got some big stuff coming up. Uh. What's next? So I think. I think doing a lot more video content for Instagram is going to be huge. Um, I've been blessed to have a girlfriend who's an awesome cinematographer. Her name's Kitty. She runs Atola Visuals, which is also her media company in San Francisco, uh, that we help produce video content for clients here, as well as have a camera and tech review channel on YouTube. Since that's growing phenomenally fast, it actually takes a lot of manpower uh, to, to manage all of that, where, whether it be you know client project management or whether it be managing the content on our YouTube channel. So I help her with that. And I think the ultimate goal is to really start using those outlets or that channel as creating just the dopest content out there for sustainable brands. And when I say sustainable brands, I mean, you know, not necessarily 100% like vegan brands. It doesn't have to be about that. It just has to be like a brand that's looking to do some type of good impact on the planet. And if we can help them tell the story of what they're doing and providing solutions for consumers, I think that's huge. I think that's going to just be exponentially how we can grow as um, not only a company, but selfishly to also help other people change and make better decisions for the planet. So, um, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think it's, um, 
Well, it's, it's important. We, we spoke about the importance of the, the visual representation. But what, what is also, you know, paramount is the, the storytelling aspect. If the Definitely. storytelling is where we feel. Right. 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 And if there's no feeling to the piece of content, to the piece of media that we're putting out, yeah, it's I suppose it's, it's making it a bit more difficult for, for the listener, the viewer to resonate yeah. with that. Because at the end of the day, what we're both trying to do is having people resonate with, oh, that person is doing this thing for the environment or, huh, I kind of, I see myself in that person and why they've led themselves to consuming plant-based diet or uh, they're introducing a vegan lifestyle. And I think, yeah, that's a really cool way to, to put your media out there. Yeah, it's nice. So absolutely. is is the future in San Fran for you? So the, the future is, I mean, I think San Francisco is always going to be our home. But I, um, because we were talking about L.A. and Vigatinos out there, I'm moving to L.A. <laughs> for just for them. <laughs> uh, no, but for, for real, I think like the, when it comes to creativity and being in, in filmmaking and um, artist collaboration, I think it's going to be fun for us, me and my girlfriend, to explore what Los Angeles has for us. Um, and I think it's cool because in that environment, we were actually just there for like 30 days. I don't know if I told you this, but we were there for like 30 days last month. And we were just creating so much. We were so busy creating content. And it was so inspiring because we were just collaborating with other YouTubers. And I think that propels you to be a better creator. You know, you just can't do things by yourself because eventually you get to this point of what am I learning? You know, I'm kind of plateauing. I need to feed off of other people's creative inspiration. So that driver helps me to create and be a better person. Totally. We're in that collaborate, collaborative state. That's where the culture is going, isn't right. it? Right. It used to be kind of very closed doors. I'm working on my thing. I've got the secret sauce. Yeah. I'm not sharing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're seeing uh, our generation, younger generations, really embrace this collaborative style of of producing media you know whether it's a written blog post where hey i've got a blog i'd love you to write something on mine or hey i'm a cinematographer let's collaborate somehow let's 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 join up and uh join forces and 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 put you know a really good piece of media out there and you're right it's the best way to learn you know it is it truly is best way to expand your skill set is to work closely with another person and see what they're doing and people that have have done it, you know, have like succeeded on platforms like YouTube and, and Instagram. And I feel like people are very generous in that community when it comes to offering advice and how to do things and, um, you know, just how, how to be successful yeah. it's, it, in the vegan world, especially too. It's not like we hold secrets back from like, hey, what did you put in your mac and cheese? Why is it so good type of thing? You know, it's like, no, we're, we're sharing our recipes. Everybody is very, very thoughtful about that. And I think the positivity, it just flows through that culture as well. It's like if I if I message someone and say, Hey, like, how did you how did you create that? Like that's so awesome. They'll just tell me. Like it's not a secret. It's I love warm. that. It's transparent. It's welcoming. It's welcoming. It's such a great vibe, you know. Um, in Los Angeles there's a big vegan community. And I'm excited to explore that out there because I mean, it's just the biggest vegan community I've, I think I've actually witnessed, at least in, yeah, in my lifetime. Yeah, like it's, 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 it's phenomenal. And, and the other point you bring up, the, the amount of inspiration you feel when you're there. Right. We felt that too. We felt very productive in that, Los Angeles. That we energy felt, is crazy. Yeah, it is, it's really. It's very crazy. It's a, I think it's just a creative energy. And yeah, the people that you're able to get exposed to there is mm-hmm. a it's just a huge driver for continuing the work that you that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Was there anyone there that you collaborated with that you know you really did enjoy that was a standout? I mean, you know, to be honest, we were there for um predominantly like Kitty, my girlfriend's channel. Uh and her network is just all filmmakers. So collaborating with other videographers on YouTube was what we were doing. Um but for the vegan side of things, I think we experienced um there was a big festival called eat drink vegan out there that we went to met a 
bunch of cool people. Uh, there's also uh, like a pop up that happens every Sunday in North Hollywood. Uh, oh, I forget the name of it. It's, it's ba- yeah, it's a vegan vegan marketplace, but like street fair, street fair, vegan yeah. street fair. Yeah, maybe? yeah, yeah. NoHo street fair or like vegan street fair or something like that. Amazing lineup. You don't have to pay like you did with each and like all the vendors are there. You can get donuts. You can get you know the most amazing fish and chips vegan fish and chips you can get everything so and then we met a bunch of great people there so i think collaboration is definitely going to happen in on the vegan side of what we do as well what i do it's just a matter of me being out there longer i'm sure i'll meet some really awesome people yeah i got the feeling you're gonna absolutely love it man would there ever be room for i'd love to see on your channel collaborating with people in the kitchen yes yes that is definitely a goal um on my channel um maybe you know definitely on on instagram for sure maybe not as frequent as on youtube because it is a lot of work to manage or try to do content for two channels but um but i think instagram i could definitely start producing some cool ass video content and i think that's kind of like the future of instagram um if i could speak on that a little bit it's like back in the day you didn't have as much drive or instagram wasn't pushing video content as much as they are now because you have IGTV, you have just videos that are being supported for a longer duration of time. So now it's 60 seconds versus back then it was only, I think it was like 30 seconds that was the limit. So that limit's only gonna increase. So just imagine your feed on Instagram just having a ton of video content. Like that's what they're going for, that's the future. And I truly believe that. So my goal, create more video content on, on Instagram, definitely. Beautiful, yeah. We're about to, you know, get back into an apartment. So that's going to mean more cooking in a good, in, good. A, in a bigger size kitchen. So that's awesome. I'd love to get some inspiration from you, man. So yeah. to, to see that kind of video content uh, is really helpful when you get in the kitchen, you know, you can just play it, yep. get in the kitchen and recreate. Yes. Uh, and I'll definitely be looking to your recipes because awesome. I, I saw some absolute rippers. I like the... Uh, <laughs> It was like a kimchi quesadilla, but it had hot dogs in it. (laughs) It had like Smart Life hot dogs in it. That's like almost a Mexican, Asian, like Mexican, Korean, (laughs) American fusion. Yeah, it was funny. I used to actually make that in college a lot too. Um, You would just get a quesadilla and just throw shit in it, you know, like whatever is in the fridge. I don't even throw some fried rice in that if I could, (laughs) you know, but like, you know, it just made sense for me to do that. Yeah, I'm like yeah. that as well. We've got a traditionalist over here. So, um, Anna and her Mexican food, she's very, you know, like, you know, very between the lines. Like, nice. if it's if it's not traditional, <laughs> it takes some convincing. A little bit of convincing. It does, yeah. it does. So, no, when I saw that, I was like, man, that looks, <laughs> that looks so good. Awesome. Have you got like a favorite dish that you've, uh, that you've made? Um, favorite dish, favorite dish. I love mushrooms, so anything mushroom-based, like, it's usually my favorite, but, like, I think um, there's a Filipino sisig dish that I make, and sisig really, in its entirety, is just a sizzling platter of, like, uh, like onions and we'll call it, like, you know, for me, it's mushrooms, but onion and, like, meat, right? So I use, for that meaty texture, I use, like, a really crispy tofu, and then I just put, like, a bunch of shiitake mushrooms in there with peppers onions and just sear the shit out of that thing and some like good soy sauce and it's amazing keeping it simple yeah throw it over a warm bed of rice throw some sriracha on it and it just call it a day it's like you're done your your meal is done you can eat that any time of the day too which is great i also like deep frying shiitake mushrooms so i'll do a nice batter and then um and there's like a chinese steamed bun that you can get at asian supermarkets usually comes in the frozen section, but you just steam these white like Chinese buns and you actually put the shiitake in there with like hoisin sauce and um, cucumbers, fresh cucumbers and some like scallions. And it's just awesome to eat that as well. I have seen that. Yeah. I have seen that exact dish. I don't know if yeah. I've tried It's. I must have tried it. It's bringing back some kind of memory and I'm probably it's salivating. A, yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, there's like a, I mean, in Chinese tradition, they have like a Peking duck dish, Peking duck dish that they put between the bread that's kind of where i got the inspiration to do that so i'll do like a five spice powder dust on the shiitake mushrooms fry those bad boys up and 
you know, it's just amazing. You mentioned crispy tofu before. Yeah. What's the secret? How do we crisp Ooh. up tofu? There's so many ways to do it. And I've experimented a lot of ways actually with how to do it. It depends how crispy you want it. <laughs> but I think the most often format that I'm using is just a shallow fry on the tofu. Because I find that if you deep fry and just submerge the whole thing, it just gets a little too crispy, you know? Um, so if you shallow fry, you actually have like a perfect center of like, a, just say a block of tofu, like a diced tofu rather. So I'll do that a lot. I'll shallow fry crispy tofu. And I think the ultimate secret to making it have a good texture is to use firm tofu. Maybe not the extra firm tofu because it's a little too kind of like, it's too much bite. It's not enough give, I feel like. Um, but yeah, you got to drain out the water. So just let it sit, put a plate on it, put some weight on it and let that water compress out. Um, and then of course, put it on a paper towel, get as much of that liquid out as possible and then throw it in the frying pan. Do you marinate before frying? I actually don't. I don't marinate before frying because I feel like if say you marinate something in soy sauce, it'll, it'll actually burn the soy sauce and kind of give it like a bitter flavor. So what I like to do with my tofu is I'll, I'll fry it, I'll crisp it up and then I'll take it out. Um, as it's still hot, I'll throw like sea salt on it. I'll throw, um, toasted rice powder on it, which is absolutely great for creating this nuttiness. Even though tofu is kind of like already from the soy, it's already nutty. You can throw like a, like a roasted toasted rice powder over it and then garlic powder. And it's just boom. You have literally the best tasting little crispy cubes of joy that you've ever had. It sounds so good. It sounds so good. You know, one of now that you're talking about spices and, yeah. and flavors, one thing that we've been asking our guests that are, you know, that are good in the kitchen, chefs, what whatever they might be, food bloggers, recipe developers. Sure. What are your favorite five top spices? So we call it the Spice Girls. The what are Spice you, Girls. The Spice right. Girls. If you had five that, you, <laughs> that you're go-to, you know, that you go to. <laughs> five Spicy Girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a lot to manage. Can, <laughs> can be uh, herbs too. Can be herbs too. <laughs> I would say, well... I mean, we ditch in the whole salt and pepper thing because that's just kind of like not really... That's a given. That's a given, yeah. Okay. Unless we're talking some like exotic salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ooh. Or different one. versions of pepper, okay. you know. Go go with your gut. Yeah, I would say... Oh, man. I would say for sure you would have to have cumin. I'm big on cumin. Um, there is paprika that I'm also big on. Like that just gives a lot of like smoked paprika, especially there's like a white, white pepper, white pepper is completely different than just your typical grinded pepper. Cause it adds just so much body. Um, and it's not like super heated. It's just, it's just a different flavor. Um, so that's three garlic, garlic powder is amazing. I put that on anything because it's so easy to just throw that on some tater tots or whatever you want to make, just put some garlic powder instantly ups the game of that and then onion granulated onion powder not that like refined onion powder it just has to be like a granulated like the granules um, yeah yeah it's a little different it is it's uh less flowery less flowery for sure more yeah, um know. more textured way more texture and just more natural kind of organic flavors out of that yeah we can actually get organic granular um onion powder like from we've done spice makers. we've done the same with garlic yeah, garlic granules rather oh, yeah. than the powder. That's that's good. Uh, it goes a little quicker. We've noticed. Yeah, we drain it a little <laughs> quicker <laughs> than the powder, but it's so good. It is. Yeah. I think actually, you know, Trader Joe's has like a bunch of spices, but I I tend to just go to Trader Joe's for my spices. And Very cool. We'll have yeah. to try out white pepper. That's something we haven't done before. Yeah, so. that can be yet purchased at Asian markets. Okay. Yeah, white pepper powder. Beautiful. Well, Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today man pleasure is uh, all mine it's been really cool to learn about you know your history background and and the influence that the you know the chinese cultures had on your food but also things like college you know yeah. it, it forced <laughs> you back into the kitchen to cook for large large groups yep, and absolutely. then uh yeah also to hear about what goes on outside of 
the vegan cooking life. You know, I feel like we got a really good representation of of uh, of your life today. So thank Great. you for for being an open book and yeah, thanks for having me and man. giving up the time, man. So yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can catch you down in LA when you when you've made the move. Absolutely. Cheers, man. Cheers. Hey guys, we made it. Another conversation in the books. I hope you really enjoyed hearing from Brian today. I love his approach to cooking and I highly recommend you checking him out on the gram. Go to Good Life Cooking. So that's no G at the end of cooking and you'll find that he brings a real cinematic vibe to his video content and also does an amazing job with his still photography as well. And it probably doesn't hurt but his food is pretty damn good too. Next week, we will be chatting with one of the queens of vegan media, Tony Okamoto from plantbasedonabudget.com. Go and check out Tony's page uh, on Instagram, plantbasedonabudget and her website, and that will really get you ready for next week's awesome chat. Until then, guys, keep eating those plants. Move your body every day and we'll link back up again for another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in.